to another episode of Caster Calls. This time I am with uh, eSports Doug, or just Doug. That's probably what I'm going to refer to you as. Um, a Valorant commentator, certainly most well-known at this point for being a Valorant commentator. Um, and yeah, uh, coming in for episode 63. So thank you very much for coming on, Doug. Uh, hopefully you've had a good day, and I'm excited to get to know a little bit more about you. Oh, I have. Thank you so much for having me. I was you know, saying earlier, I love doing stuff like this. I will I will inevitably talk too much. So so please keep me in check, but I'm I'm super excited to join. This will that be makes my job a whole lot easier, so I'm always happy when I hear that. Uh just get to sit and listen, <laughs> which uh, I love to do uh for both parts of the podcast. You know, basically usually first half is just kind of listening to your story about how you got in esports, which is usually always a fun tale, sure. and then just talking the craft of, of of casting with the caster is is always a lot of fun. So, let's start with your story. How did you get into esports? Yeah, um, it was back in the Halo CE days, which feels like an eternity ago, right? It's like 2004 or 2005. Um, you know, I at that time, I, I had been playing video games for a little while, but uh, a cousin had an Xbox and he had Halo. And of course, I'm like, oh, this game looks dope. Let's try this out. Um, fast forward a little bit. I, I fall in love with Halo. I managed to get my hands on an Xbox and, you know, playing with friends and neighbors and cousins because CE in the day didn't have um right there there was no xbox live right you could do xbox connect i think back in the day but it was very primitive um so it was a ton of fun and there was a uh oddly enough there was a church close by where i used to live that they we like drove by one day and on you know on their board they said they were having a halo tournament i'm like this is this is great let's go this will be a lot of fun uh i go and of course i'm like young and arrogant and think i'm the best and uh, i placed really well so I go, this is, this is incredible. Like I've, I've tasted competition. I placed like top eight out of like 300 people or whatever. It, it was good enough that I went, look, I mean, look at me. Come on now. Let's go. Uh, so it was about that time. So Halo CE was nearing its end. Halo 2 um, was about to be out or it was coming out or something, or it had just been out, something along those lines. Anyway, Halo 2 was next on the docket. And there was uh, an MLG event. That was going to be in Orlando close short, shortly thereafter. Um, and I thought this is, I mean, obviously I could, I could rock it here against these random people. Surely I can perform on the internet, on the national stage. Right. So we go to this MLG event and I just got destroyed. <laughs> oh, it was bad. I think if I remember correctly, I lost. We lost in like losers round two to a guy who was missing an arm. It was bad. It was a humbling experience from top to bottom. It was very eye-opening, but I will say that's like that was my first taste of 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 competition in esports, right? On a big scale where you walk into the venue and you just see like hundreds of TVs and they're all playing the Halo menu music because they're all waiting to be played and the shouting across the um you know across the stations, all that stuff. I just fell in love with it. Um, naturally had always been very competitive. So that was just a, a very easy outlet for, for that to, um, express itself in his, in a sense. And I was hooked ever since. I, I think from that competed for a while, transitioned to coaching, did some content creation for, um, I was writing freelance for ESPN. I've written for ESL. I've done some social media work as well. Um, but it really wasn't until most recently that that has evolved, but that was originally how it all started. I was just some some little kid with an Xbox who thought, yeah, I can compete. Why not? 
This was Halo 2, you said? Uh, it started with CE, and then my first MLG event was in yeah, Halo 2. Yeah, I actually 2. looked yeah. up that date. Uh, 2004. Is that correct? <laughs> it's a... This was many <laughs> yeah. a moon ago. Yeah. <laughs> many a you moon know, it's, ago. It, it, I remember as soon as you say it, then MLG has been around for a very long time. But usually when people hear, um, you know, MLG, I think they do think of, of a little bit later at the very least, if not like more so the onset yeah. of modern esports. So you're talking about really OG organized tournaments that actually slap the label on it other than, you know, guys basement LAN. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. That is, you know, some of the the original popular American esports for sure. Uh, and then you got into a bunch of different work at a time where it still wasn't all that popular um, esports. So you're you're basically a lot more OG than I actually was expecting coming in here. <laughs> so it's it's funny that you say that. I had this, I don't remember what event it was, but you know, you, we spend a, a month at a time on the road with people and we're traveling to, you know, cast events and whatnot. And um, uh, Bala at one point, we were talking and he, he knows my background and we somehow got to talking about like OG stuff. And he goes, dude, I forget that you're as OG as you are. And I think it's because I, I am predominantly in a PC shooter mm. space, right? Like I'm not OG because I didn't play 1.6, right? Like I'm not that side of OG. So I think much like you were thinking, it's just not super common. It's because I was more on the console side mm -hmm. of things. It really wasn't until League of Legends and Valorant that I, transition to a pc which has been um a blast and also a challenge all its own right like all of these mechanics that i was not refining at mm -hmm. 14 right all these things just very different but yeah um yeah there's there's uh, i'm i'm i've been around yeah. for a little bit yeah. i think you 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 nailed it you know there's pretty much you know there's there's the history of esports is is there's a lot right and people could focus mm. easily on, you know, Brood War up until release of StarCraft II, and that would be a lot mm -hmm. of esports, and certainly the development yeah. of, of modern esports. But then you do talk to people, and there's people who are playing 1.6 or Quake. Uh, obviously, we had a couple of, yep. of standout stars before uh, the, the, the modern age that there weren't just Korean. Um, but it, it was <laughs> less talked about, for sure. Uh, yes. And then so many of them kind of folded into the space behind the scenes, um, or yeah. they were kind of waiting in the, in the rear for their favorite game to come back, like a Halo commentator, <laughs> to a degree. Mm -hmm. And now they're super, super, super uh, popular again. But uh, that's that's awesome. That means you have kind of a unique perspective, at least coming from that stage of things. Um, you've actually watched esports kind of develop, and so it's interesting that you say um, you know you maybe didn't get kind of pushed to the forefront um, or really learn to the to do the PC thing until League of Legends. And Valorant, that's yeah. that's a wide gap for me. It's it's very, very different. So <clears throat> I had, excuse me, I had, um, there was a friend I worked with at the time who was super big League of Legends guy. And he goes, dude, you should play League. And I'm like, League with the characters and the clicking and the, I'm a, I'm a shooter. <laughs> I don't, I don't really do that. And then the mouse and the keyboard, yeah, I don't know. But he wore me down and he talked me into it and I started playing League just out of an attempt to befriend him, really. Uh, and it was a truly miserable experience, right? Like the learning curve is outrageous. The, it's it's a very difficult on game to onboard to. And the truth is, if you pick up, pick up League of Legends, unless you have MOBA experience, you're going to suck for a long time before you start to have fun, 
that's, that's just the reality of the matter. Uh, and that was, that was my experience with league. Uh, but, uh, I loved it. And again, I think what really kept me around was esports, right? Like I watched the LCS, I watched worlds. I, I became fans of teams and fans of players. And as someone who not in the PC space, but as someone who had exposure to esports at a highly competitive level and who had competed and who has tasted what that's like, it was just a very natural attraction mm. point. Um, so I, I fell in love, I fell in love with league. I fell in love with the competitive side of things. Um, and I actually, I spent a fair amount of time. I don't remember exactly how many years, but either playing it, writing content for it. Um, my first paid esports gig outside of like competing or, or coaching or anything like it was actually because of league, uh, writing articles for a website that I think was acquired and is now mm. blitz.gg. Uh, but at the time it was something very different and it was an app on the phone. And, um, yeah, I honestly league as much as I haven't touched it in forever. And for my own sake, I haven't touched it in forever. Um, I owe a lot to league to be honest. That's pretty cool. But you weren't, uh, getting into the commentary, uh, any game at that point and not league of legends either. Right. Well, yes and no. Um, because it was around league where I decided that that's what mm-hmm. I wanted to do. So there was, I've, I've told him this story, so, uh, I don't mind talking about it. There was, I think it was worlds 2016 or 2017. They did, um, for league of legends world, they put together a, um, like a content series and one of them included their talent. Uh, and one of the, the casters that was highlighted was Riv. Mm-hmm. And I had been listening to Riv for a while from League, obviously. Um, and there was this really cool segment where he like, it's the opening of the video and he rolls around in his motorcycle in the mountains of California in the background. And he's like internal voice as he's listening to his cast in his background. And I went, oh my gosh, I need to do this. This is what I need to do. This is what I want to do. Um, and, you know, you realize instantly like, dog, this is a pipe dream. Right, like many aspire to do this, and very few a- achieve it. Right, so I I understood at the beginning. It's like this is, y- yeah, bro, you and everyone else. Um, but I am for whatever reason I'm as stubborn as a mule. Um, so I really got into league, and I would look out for any sort of like volunteer casting opportunity that I can find, and that continued to grow. And around the time where I ended league work, if you work if you will. Um, I was primarily casting like uh, semi-pro tournaments, collegiate tournaments. Um, I was doing a little bit of travel, but all in the States, very much, much more local um, to cast league. But that was, I mean, other than one random Halo event that I casted before that, it was really league is really where casting started okay. for me. Well, why did you stop working with league? Um, for some of the reasons that I mentioned at the beginning, to be honest, you've got, you have some of the best talent in the world on a tier one esport, and you've got such a heavily saturated group of people who are, who are trying to do mm-hmm. the same thing. Um, and you know, we can touch back on this in the Valorant space because in, in some regards it was similar, but, um, I just very quickly understood like you've got freak, you've got 
Riv at the time. You've got Captain Flowers who's there. You like you have S tier talent who belong in history books as being some of the best to ever do it. Uh, and then you had this like fat layer of everyone else who's trying to do the same thing. And people can be ratty. People can be snakes. There's a lot of competition. It's insanely saturated. Uh, and it was like, a, a maybe this isn't, this might not be where it happens. If it happens, it that's pro- like, it's probably not going to be league. And that's a, that's a brutal thing to come to terms with, but it's just the harsh reality of the matter. I could love NBA all I want. I'm never going to dunk. Right, like I, I can love basketball for the rest of forever, but I I can't dunk. Right, like that's not going to change anything. Um, so there was like a, a reality where I, yep, you can love this, you can want to do it, and that's cool. It's likely not going to happen with league. Okay, so you kind of face the harsh realities that a decent amount of people have to. Uh, but when was this then? So you got kind of attached to league in sixteen seventeen. But Valorant didn't come out until, actually, I don't remember when it came out. 2020? Yeah, 20, yeah. yeah people kind of knew about yeah. it, I guess, beforehand is the thing. Um, mm-hmm. So what was what was the gap? Yeah, so I knowing the, the reality of things, I, again, I'm still stubborn. Um, so I would stick around and kept doing things, and um, I was starting to uh, branch out alongside that. So at the time, I was living in Minnesota, um, and, uh, Minnesota had just f- announced a franchise call of duty team in Minnesota. Um, so it just so happened that I was able to connect with them and I created some content with them and, um, they were doing like smaller discord tournaments and I started casting that for call of duty. So I did a little of that. I did some random rocket league. Like I found myself at that point in life casting like a very wide assortment of games. I think there was a, a, a an event in which I casted like Smash, Rocket League, League of Legends. That may have been it, but all all in one event, right? Like there was very much a, I'm just trying to get my face and my name and my voice mm-hmm. out there and see what happens. Um, and while that was happening, you know, COVID hits, everyone, everyone locks down. And then you kind of realize like, if this was difficult before, you just hit a global pandemic dog. Like there are no events to cast. There are no arenas to go to. That's like, that's not a thing. Um, and then that's when the Valorant beta hit. Yeah, and you just hopped into it and started casting it in the same manner that you found these other jobs. Uh, yeah. In, in a sense, like I was randomly very fortunate. Um, and I got, so there was when, when Valorant came out, they were doing um, beta key drops through Twitch I happened to get one the very first day. Um, and, you know, I, I, I really liked the game. There were a couple of influencer friends I had who had gotten into the game, um, not through drops because they had been invited. Uh, and so I decided, I'm like, hey, this is this game's a lot of fun. Again, I've never played a tactical shooter in my life other than when I competed in Call of Duty on the Xbox and we had Search and Destroy as one of the game types. That was the extent of, of my attack shooter experience. And I've certainly never played one on a mouse and keyboard. Um, but I love the game and I went, this is, this is a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to organize my own tournament. So I put together a a very small tournament. I invited influencer friends, um, and I had them like make your team. I'll cast it. I'll produce it. I'll put it on my Twitch channel. Uh, it's just like a fun thing to do, right? Like Valorant had just come out. Nobody was doing anything with it. Um, 
and it was genuinely more fun than 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 anything else. Really, I, I didn't have super high expectations, and the reason for that was, again, you a, a Riot Games title just launched that is intended to rival CS and and Overwatch. The only other games that compete with League of Legends and, and Dota uh, at that okay. time, right? Like it, when it comes to like S tier, creme de la creme type esports. Why on earth would I think that I'm going to make the cut when you know you have talent from all these other S tier events, like some of the best talent in the world, they're going to want to get their hands in. So it, it really was that that tournament, to be honest, really was just fun. Like, let's just have fun, man. Let's do something with influencer friends. Let's just have a good time. And, you know, maybe we'll get a couple of extra followers and subs on our Twitch channel and let's see what happens. And that was okay. That was uh, a <laughs> that's the beginning of your career, I guess, as we now know it. Um, but there's, there's a surprising amount to unpack there. Um, you know, <laughs> it you know, I, I wanted to really make sure that it's never came off as, as rude or anything, but you kind of confirmed what I already suspected, which is that you are amongst the top tier talent of Valorant right now, the people who are being invited to the majors, the champs, you know, whatever. Um, one of the least experienced when it came to tax shooters. Uh, and, yes. you know, yeah, I was absolutely. definitely thinking as far as, as casting, just as far as my, my knowledge of your history and looking into you very briefly, not any comment on your commentary at all, just kind of your, your brand. Right. So I, I figured that you were not, um, you were coming from CS in a big way, like a lot of like most mm-hmm. of their names or any particularly right, large yeah. game like uh, Fortnite. Um, mm-hmm, so that, mm-hmm. you know, that is confirmed. So how did you approach starting to commentate something that was completely new that you had this kind of oppressive feeling that everyone has like well all these other people are going to be doing it and probably better than i am at first how did you approach learning the game like that in a way that you could set up commentary yeah i think it was it started off with just like a very again like a humble realization that like you you have a lot to learn um but i I was very okay with that so i um, took the route of just watching as much film as I possibly could. Uh, and you know, if you go back to some of the, I mean, like if you were to go back to that very first tournament that I ran and I casted, yeah, there was a, there's a lot that I just didn't know. Right. And there was a lot, it was, it was rough. Uh, I'm sure. Um, but it was, there was enough love for the game and there was enough, like, I want, I want to understand this game. I want to learn this game. I want to, um, understand it and study it and be able to talk about it in a way um, to where I've essentially like become a student of the game as best mm-hmm. as I can. Um, and that's always been my approach to stuff like this has been like, it, it was like this when league, when, when league, when I first started playing league and I um, started to really like the game was there's a lot out there and there's a lot that you don't know. And there's going to take a lot. Uh, it's going to take a lot of learning. Um so just study, dude, just like be a sponge, just absorb as much as you possibly can. Um, and that's really, that's what I did with Valorant. And um, yeah, it, I have, I'm, I mean, I'm, I've watched more film than I'm likely willing to admit uh, at this point, but it's been, it was, I think what I understood was necessary mm-hmm. at the time. Again, if I want to work in Valorant, if I want to understand the game, if I want to commentate it, um, there's a lot of work that I have to do because I didn't play 1.6, mm-hmm. because I didn't play CSGO, 
um, there it was just like a a much further back starting point than the rest of the field, really. How about when it came to broadcasting experience? Because um, certainly that would be an understandable jump start uh, if if some if someone would look at this this example and be like, well, they all knew tax shooters and this guy didn't, but this guy was properly trained in broadcasting or whatever it is, right? Did you feel like you had an, an edge there, especially with your multifaceted background? Um, a little, but you know, you think about the other talent that was there at the beginning of Valorant, and even that's there now. Um, when it comes to resume, I can't hold a candle to anyone, really. Mm. I mean, Bala uh, comes from Fortnite. Uh, Brandon Josh come from the Overwatch League. Like, they're they have a lot more experience than I do. They've been around the game a lot longer. They have made a lot of mistakes that I haven't made yet. And there are some that I will learn from and there are some that I'm inevitably going to walk into. Right. Um, I think I may have been doing commentary and I may have been around the esports space for a long time, but the truth is they were doing it, um, at a much bigger scale. They were doing it on a much bigger stage, much brighter lights. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, again, I'm, I'm a stubborn, I'm, I'm incredibly stubborn. Um, so I look at that and I go, yeah, but why does that mean I can't mm. make it? Right? Like, yeah, okay. They have more experience than I do. People have done this more than I have, but what's to say that I can't work through that? What like what's to say I can't hard work my way through some of these deficiencies I'm looking at right now? It's an iron will right there. And to a fault. <laughs> Maybe. <yes. laughs> um and it, it, obviously it's worked out. Like we can look at your career now and say that it's worked out. You've been invited to mm a lot of events, a lot of the premier events at this point, um, to be, you know, to almost to the point where you're going to be expected, uh, not that Valorant's like cemented their talent hundred percent quite yet, but cementing it to a degree. Um, how would you, would you just kind of vaguely chalk it up to hard work as to the reason that you are where you are? Because what's really unique about your situation is it's kind of like your actual commentary, push that aside for a second, honestly, there are so many examples of great commentators who got all like the mechanical skills, but they don't have this like branding, right? So they're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities and it's going to take that extra push, the extra years to actually, you know, have them be like the homegrown talent that everyone starts pushing. But you did it in a very small amount of time in a very contested field and you rose to the top. Can you explain, like, to your perspective, how that happened? And if it's just kind of hard work, can you describe your process? I guess is working hard. Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And to be candid with you, this is not something I reflect on very often. There have been moments where I've stopped and I've gone two years ago. <clears throat> so I have on my phone still. Um, a talent announcement for like MSI for League of Legends many years ago. And I took a screenshot of it. Uh, and I remember saving that and looking at it and going, I want that to be me one day. Like I want to be on an international talent announcement for a game. And obviously at that point I was thinking League because that's what I wanted to work on. Um, but it it I seldom like pause and think about do two years ago it was there was COVID. Valorant wasn't out yet, or it was about to be out. You were spinning your wheels. You didn't really know what you were doing, where you were going. You were working full time for a Fortune 50 company, like in an entirely different field. Um, and all you could do was like f- 
is like daydream about living the life that you're living now. And now look, right? Um, so it again, I candidly, it's not something I think about super often. Um, I think it's a combination of I'm stubborn. I like fully commit myself to something when I set my mind on something. There is a, as we, as we talk, I'm sure this story will come up, but there is another in the Valorant um, era of my life. There was another very clear instance where I went, if I'm going to knock on this door and if nobody opens the door, I'm going to kick the dang wall down. Um, but there is, yeah, there's an element of like stubbornness, hard work. And then honestly, Jess, it felt like, yeah, I was in the right place at the right time, right? Like it, I got, I got a little lucky if I'm honest, right? Like for as many people as there are who are trying to do what, what, what I was trying to do at the time. And again, you look at, at uh, talent announcements for majors or for masters or champs, things like that. Yeah. I have the smallest social footprint by far. I have likely, yeah, I have the least amount of experience when it comes to broadcast, uh, by far yet here I am. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a heavy dose of those three. And I think, you know, I remember getting this advice from, from captain flowers. Honestly, I DM'd him one day when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And he said, dog, not, not, there is no right path. And I'd heard everyone say that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's boring. <laughs> like, can you just give me the right answer? I know you're lying. There's a the right path. Right. Uh, but he, I mean, he's right. And everyone else who told me that was right. There is no right path. There is no right answer. You, one, either you have it or you don't, naturally. Two, either you're going to work hard enough and want it bad enough or you won't. And then three, you're you're going to be fortunate or you're not, right? And I, I consider myself very fortunate, very blessed to be in in this situation, right? Like to, to have things have turned out the way that they did. Also knowing this is all going to end one day. I'm not going to cast for the rest of my life, right? Like we get old, we fall out of relevance. The games that we work on die. So there's this, there's this very short time window in which I get to travel around the world and get paid to talk about video games. What? Like, what, what are we talking about? It's a pretty cool life and a very, you know, realistic outlook. I guess that kind of helps you know, kind of focus in on what you want to do right now. Um, a lot of other people, they do kind of a lot of stories, I would say still by far the majority of stories in this podcast is that I kind of fell into it. But it sounds like even though you've been doing it for a very long time, so it's not correct to say that you kind of jumped into it and boom, you're there. To a degree, that seems to be what kind of has happened to your commentary. Like, I really want to do this thing and I worked really hard towards it. And how many people will get to to be in that state of... Um, of life experience of, of life and nor do they necessarily get to be in that state of mind. It sounds like, uh, honestly you and, and Jessica sound like you have something in common, which is a, <laughs> a sense of a strong sense of purpose, uh, knowing what you want, knowing that you're going to work hard enough to get to it. Um, but I, I did say like, let's push your commentary, actual skills aside for a second for that question, which we did. Um, but now let's, let's go back to that. Uh, obviously you came in with, with, something to show you had something that everyone liked um what do you remember from some of your first commentaries i guess let's say like in the big leagues where someone hired you and at the event that you put on yourself and you had to co-cast mm -hmm. with someone uh, what do you remember having to improve on from that event what do you remember thinking oh, 
okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm prepared to do this afterwards kind of take on it. Yeah. Um, gosh, there was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot. Uh, I, again, I was very green. Uh, I was green in both. I was green in tax shooters and I was green at casting uh, on the big stage. Um, and I, I like, I fully admit, and I, I think I understood that in the moment too. It was like, dog, you've, you've jumped, you've jumped into the deep end and you wanted this, like that you wanted to jump. Now you're here you're going to need to figure out if you can swim or not. Um, so I think game knowledge was a massive one, uh, which I understood was like, that was going to come with time, right? Like you're going to have to study, you're going to have to work, you're going to make mistakes. Um, and that's okay. Um, but then also I think what was, what really has been most beneficial for me in my time in Valorant is trying to do things differently. Um, play by play casters are a dime a dozen. Um, so there was a, okay, right. I recognize that I'm trying to stand out amongst the masses. Well, how can I do things differently? What can I do differently? And I think that's where I spent a lot of my time refining my craft. And that's one of the things that I understood I needed to do better and I needed to do differently than everyone else if I wanted to succeed. So you, you layer that on top of, and then game knowledge, and then just like the fundamentals of broadcast and camera presence and all of those things. It very much became a, you've got a lot of work to do. Um, and if you want it, this is what you're going to have to do. So again, it was um, a lot of the game knowledge. What do I do differently with my words, right? Anybody can be excited into a microphone. Anyone can yell into a microphone. How do you handle specific moments? How do you um, manipulate intonation to in, in your voice to play with people's emotions, right? Like, how do I get you invested on what's happening on a screen with just a bunch of, again, it's just people playing video games, man. Like, this is so, it's, it's video games. We take ourselves way too seriously sometimes. But how do I get you invested into that? And I think, honestly, I think people don't think about that a lot. Uh, it's just, how do I get loud and exciting on a microphone? Um, and I knew that those were deficiencies that I had if I really wanted to to be there, if I really wanted to succeed. And I, I looked at, and I still highly respect and admire the machines of the world, the sadists of the world. Like, they're, they are some of the best to ever do it. And there's so much that I've learned from studying them. Um and I, I only look at them if I, like, I, I don't look at them if I have a, an arrogant outlook on things. But I understood, again, there are people out there who are a lot better than I am, and I want to do that. So how do I learn from them? As opposed to just thinking, bravado, look at me, I, I'm the best yeah. type thing. Well, then how did you, did you, did you have a process of doing this? Because um, obviously being cognizant of something is is helpful, but... You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are working on their crafts, who have a pretty base skill level, and are thinking, okay, how do I practice this? And sometimes the the resources are not out there. You know, there's not the same like, well, mm -hmm. here's how to become a better pitcher, you know, and, mm -hmm. and do these skills, mm -hmm. do work on these skills independently of each other, because a cast is often so much everything at once. Working with the co-caster, right. working with the crowd, working with the audience, working with, you know, 
teams and players and everything all at once. So did you have a process when you were thinking, well, I need to make sure to change my my voice in a way that affects people. I need to make sure to replicate this thing that machine was doing. Or was it just something you were going to think about while you cast and do a lot of casting? Yeah, it's, this isn't a a fun answer. Um, but there wasn't an actual Mm. process. No, I think, um, it's something that I just, I understood that had to be front of mind at all times. And it was only because I was thinking about it all the time that I could make some of the adjustments, like including heavy alliteration into my casts, right? Like if I'm not thinking about that at every, at, at most moments throughout the day, I'm not thinking about how I can manipulate words to do cool things like that. Um, so there was a, a heavy, like, yes, think, think about different words that rhyme. Think about uh, alliteration. Think about using homophones in ways that you wouldn't normally. Think about how you can use different metaphors and stuff to work your way into play-by-play. Um, that was really the process. It was, it was essentially like a shotgun approach of just, you need to think about this all the time. Uh, because to the point that you were making earlier, there is no book right? Like there are no resources out there for how do you do mm-hmm. this? I, I identified the best of the best, what it was that set them apart and how can I very humbly and respectfully take what they do well and then also make it dug at the same time. Yeah. I think that's a real challenge for a lot of people that, that will definitely mm-hmm. most likely get into is that replicating, but not completely, um, you know, completely basically. Um, yeah. But I want to stay on the point where you said, like, you know, looking at them and what they did well. Can you, <laughs> in the moment's notice, think of anything that you remember looking at them and being like, this is what they really do well. I need to copy. Yeah. Um, there is one that comes to mind uh, of <clears throat> of machines where I'm not going to remember what the event was. There was a tech delay. Uh, he was casting with Sponge. And there was this really cool moment where... He essentially he takes the the listener on a on a a journey. That sounds so lame, <laughs> but it essentially was that, right? Like he talks about the player individually during this tech pause. So it was it was like game five of something crazy, high mm-hmm. tense, a lot of lot of lot of pressure, crowds insane, the, the whole thing, right? Like you can imagine the setting. Uh, and he during the tech pause starts to talk about the player individually, uh, and. In, in a matter of like three sentences, he talks about the pressure the player is feeling in the moment, zooms out to talk about the team and the how that is intertwined with the player, zooms out more to talk about the sage, and then he finishes it off by talking about the arena, like the crowd, the people, all of the pressure of that moment. So he took you from, and I don't even know if he did it on purpose or if he's just that naturally good, which he very well may be, um, but he took you from this, this tiny pressure that an individual player is feeling in a moment zooms all the way out to 20,000 people in an arena who are watching that one player in the moment and then sucks it all right back into the 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 focus of the trophy and i and i listened to him say that and i went oh my goodness this guy's bloody brilliant right like he just he just mapped out everything in a matter of two sentences and it's that type of storytelling um, that is often lost, I think, uh, and it's something I am still so heavily focusing mm-hmm. on and trying to get better at because that's how you fall in love with players. That's how you fall in love with, with moments, right? If you're a spectator, yeah. if you're a fan base, um, 
it's because of the stories that are told. And if, if we are not focused on doing that well for the players, we're doing them a disservice. We're doing the, again, while, while saying that we take ourselves way too seriously sometimes, we're doing a disservice to the history of the game in a way, right? Like we're creating something really cool here and knowing Riot's, uh, Riot's uh, resume, this is going to be around for a long time. Right, like LCS is, I think it's on its eleventh year or tenth year, something yeah. like that. We're we're going to be talking about Valorant for a little while, right? How do we, how do we tell these stories, these players' stories, in a way that's going to be remembered mm-hmm. for a yeah. while? Because people, well, it, you know, the, the old saying, right? They don't remember what you said; they remember how you made them feel. Um, mm-hmm. And that's going to be true. Um, you know, as, as far as you know, what did this player do to win this trophy is is less well known than. You know, what what story was the player having when they won the trophy? Was it the fifth time in the finals and they finally won it after four back-to-back-to-back-to-back runner-ups? Did their, you know, family yeah. member just pass and now they've, they've won it? And, you know, those types of things are going to stick with us far more than even exactly. a really close, cool game, but one where the story wasn't really developed. So I think that's something that, um, yeah, a lot of, of budding, keen play-by-play commentators eventually pick up on, you know, get past the... The you know sickly sweet cliche that is we're storytellers, um, but that's that is kind of true. Um, but there's so yeah. many other things that I think you do really well. That you know here's the part where I just kind of praise you and then you respond with why you deserve to be praised. But um, <laughs> thank you, I like this part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So I think it's an excellent point. To, like machines, great at that stuff. Great, he's a machine is great at pretty much everything. But, um, you know, there's other things that I think that you've done very well, who apparently as a somewhat newbie commentator, you really only started focusing in recently on this job, uh, do surprisingly well. And certainly a camera presence is one of them. So uh, right from the get go, I want to say, because I did start kind of watching Valorant at the beginning. So I saw you and some others during the the coming up days, I suppose. Um, Very confident on the camera. (laughs) You know, it didn't seem like you were like, I am in a camera in my room. And this is weird uh, that a lot of people sure, have, sure. whether they, they mean to or not. Mm-hmm. How did you develop that skill? Did you develop that skill or is this natural? Uh, it is natural, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, <no>. um, <laughs> yeah, it I am. I, that's one of my many faults is that I'm confident uh, <laughs> in most things and in a lot of things that I probably shouldn't even be, to be honest with you. Um but that's just always been how I've approached things. I think like you're, you're here. And the funny thing is, is while that may be the exterior that I put on, like I wrestle with imposter syndrome every day. Like they're going to find out that you don't belong here. They're going to find out that you're not as good as, as people may think you are or, you know, whatever, whatever lie it is that we believe about ourselves in those moments. Um, It's a, it's a, it's, it it's not fake because I do genuinely feel that just like confident. Um, and that's not always a good thing. Uh, but it's, that's not all it is. I think if you drill, you'll find that there is that right. Like the imposter syndrome that I was just mm. alluding to. Well, I hard pressed to find someone who I've talked to who doesn't experience that. Um, again, plenty of yeah, top tier talent having drunk cries at the after party. Cause they're not good enough. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, but the, as you said, like you kind of, I guess you're doing this naturally, um, but there, there's some things that, 
like I said, people do this whether they they realize it or not. And a big challenge of, of mm. VOD reviewing, for instance, is looking for those subtle signs. So I am a inherently uh, not like public speaker, social type of person. So I got a broadcaster, professional broadcast coach to look at me and he would note things that were just kind of subconscious to me. Right. So sure. crossing the arms, you know, it's kind of off putting to, to people, but even then like, mm-hmm. uh, anytime you kind of move away from your co-caster unintentionally, right. You're kind of like, maybe more like this than this. And I just feel like you, mm-hmm. you do that very rarely. So is there, anything you can think of where you are are aware of what you're doing and uh that you can you can share wisdom because i'm talking like your your posture is very good you're direct with the camera with your eyes i rarely see you ever do kind of like the the body language you know incorrectly do with my hands um <laughs> so is there anything that you've worked on at least intently because i know you've also done some of the like analytical pieces where your full body's in frame you're trying to emote anything you can give wisdom to I think the the one thing, man, this feels really bad to say no. <laughs> um, I, again, a lot of the camera presence is just is just very mm. natural for whatever reason. I feel very comfortable in front of a lot of people. Um, I don't know. Uh, I will say though, on like the 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 camera presence with the with your co caster, mm-hmm. I have. I have personally uh, always really valued and placed a lot of importance on having the off-camera relationship with your co-caster. I love Bala, like genuinely. <laughs> he's he's such a good, like he's genuinely a good friend of mine. Uh, and I trust him a lot. And I think that sort of chemistry does bleed out onto the camera. I think Brendan and Josh are mm-hmm. the same way, right? Like they're friends. They've been friends for a long time. Like we hang out on off days. We hang out after shows, like, I think that kind of thing really does matter uh, when it comes to on-camera presence with a co-caster. I know that's just like a very small sliver um, of everything else that you were trying to poke at. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> it really just, yeah, I don't know. For whatever reason, the the bigger the stage and the brighter the lights, the more confident I feel. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty I awesome then that you're that confident, but that it also physically manifests itself which legitimately think there's people who are maybe even arrogant who still have these on-camera problems. So, yeah, I guess you are fortunate in that department. Um, But another thing that I think you do very well uh, is enunciation. Um, Now, I think this is the one part where us uh, Americans with the, um, you know, mid-Atlantic dialect, I suppose, I truly believe Mm. is one of the finest accents to have as far as that enunciation and detachment from words so we don't often do what englishmen do and kind of slide right into it right, but right, right. it's obviously a skill that we work on did you work on it or is this again a case of you just always talking rather properly and not slurring your words too often um the my the friends and other talent they'll make fun of me for how i speak hmm. uh because they say it's always very proper <laughs> and very like buttoned up and I genuinely, I don't, I, again, I don't think about it. Uh, it's just, it's just always how I've spoken. And, um, yeah, they've given me a hard time about it many a time and they'll like mock me and, and how I would say things and what have you. But, uh, yeah, it also not something I've ever 
intentionally thought mm. through. Um, and, you know, I don't know, maybe that's part of one of the ways in which I'm as fortunate as I am is a lot of like the base stuff has just kind of come naturally. And that's allowed me to really focus on um, what to do with words, mm-hmm. how to tell stories, how to, you know, all of the other things that we were talking about yeah. earlier. Uh, because I imagine if the the things that I feel comfortable with naturally weren't there, I probably wouldn't be able to think about and focus on and refine um, the things that we had discussed before. Probably, yeah. Uh, but now that I've I've tried unsuccessfully to get that, like, oh yeah, I'm glad you noticed. You know, I worked <laughs> that really hard. Um, <laughs> what would you say is something that you worked really hard on that you think you've improved on drastically since your, you know, two years ago? Yeah, um, how to how to describe things in a different way. So the way I think about play-by-play commentary is like, imagine this with me for a moment. This is going to sound insane, but you're running through a forest, okay? And you're running down this path that has been paved or that has been at least run down so many times that you've worn a path into it. And there are woods surrounding you every single which way, right? Your brain is going to want to continue down that familiar path because it's what you know, right? It's what you've seen. And I I draw that parallel to play both by commentary, especially um, in a game that can be as fast-paced as Valorant because your brain will naturally want to go down the path that it's that it knows. And will, the, um, the way that, that ties to play by play is you're going to want to describe things the same way you have previously. So if you see someone, I don't know, make a specific play, like peek out of garage on Haven towards window B and and just absolutely destroy somebody. Um, You're going to want to describe that the same way if you've seen it the second time. It's just naturally there, right? That's the way your brain is wired. I think play-by-play commentary forces you, the good commentators, you have to, while running as fast as you possibly can, turn off of that path and just run into the woods. And I think that has been the most difficult thing Mm, the the thing I have spent the most time thinking about is how do I describe things in a different way um, than I've done it before, than other people have done it before, um, that is still doing justice to the player, to the moment, right? To to the situation, to the gravitas of, of what the circumstances are. Um, more than anything else, I think again, because there are so many who are trying, anybody can sound excited and yell into a microphone, but how do you stand out there? So that's what I have, at least this year, spent a lot of time focusing Mm on. Um, And you know, it's funny because there's certain things get noticed uh, and then there are other things that just don't, right? Like people miss, um, I dropped some, excuse me, I dropped some random line in a cast during a tech break that included like sine cosine and tangent right like in in an entirely just random (laughs) way and i i can assure you that nobody caught it right but but it's those little things that i i think are and that's maybe not the best example but um it's things like that how do you speak differently how do you communicate differently how do you um i like to call them ear tickles yeah how do you do things with your words that like yeah, that that was dope. <laughs> Whatever I just heard, I may not be able to explain it or describe it, but I like that. That was cool. I don't think that's uh, that would be you'd be the first person to describe it as an ear tickle, believe it or not. Uh, as weird as that sounds, um, <laughs> it does. Sound but weird. but I I actually think people have described it before. Certainly, people have talked about 
you know, the idea of, of there being a certain element to casting that, that, that tickles people's fancy, that tickles their ear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes it is undescribable. There's no, there, you know, especially if you talk to the, the randos on the street, they're like, I don't know. I just like them. Um, but yep. you, mm-hmm. if you really try hard, you can usually find it. And it is usually variety. Um, so both in the, uh, the way you, you, um, your intonation, but also in your words and then also in your emotion. Uh, which I think, you know, people can get really mechanically good and really into the mechanics of casting and kind of forget that emotion part. And that's often what really sets it apart when it comes to those game seven grand final championships is a little, is a little bit of bafflement, a little bit of like, Ooh, (laughs) something that's not technically sound. Um, but absolutely. Like I'm just, I could not agree with you more on this point, but you did during that have a correction on yourself where you said it's not the most difficult thing what is the most difficult thing then that you have been trying to work on or that you self-identify as your weakness um i do in in a sense how do I say this? Because this is going to sound convoluted. Um, it is, in a way, the weakness, because, again, I identify that that is where the most work can be done. I still, again, I, I listen to some of these guys that I admire so greatly, and every time I listen to them, I go, crap, I would have never thought to do that. I would have never thought to say that that way. I would have never thought to to use that that. <clears throat> that pattern or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so in, in a sense that I, I do still think is what I'm focused on more, more than anything else. Um, because I do think for whatever reason, and maybe I'm entirely wrong, maybe none of this matters, right? Like maybe at the end of the day, nobody cares if I can rhyme four words together uh, in a crazy moment in, that makes that even more memorable, right? Or drop a random song lyric or, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I do think that, um, yeah, maybe not the, the the hardest thing for me to do because I think I've made pretty significant bounds. If you go to a year ago mm-hmm. even, right, like to now, I think I've incorporated so much more of that into my commentary. Um, so maybe not the most difficult, but definitely what I have focused mm-hmm. on the most, right? I That is where, again, I've recognized and I've identified that that's what the best of the best do. Right. And I would be foolish to not look at at those who have walked before me and gone, what have they done exceptionally well and what can I learn yeah. from that? I think you're pretty spot on about your your improvement too. Um I do very much remember actually I don't I think I heard it, but I didn't really think about how well done it was until I read the comment later. But people started to all, you know, on the subreddit, started to talk about this mm. phrase you use in a hundred thieves game. Or even the best thieves can't ah, steal yes. time, and now that's kind of something that's almost synonymous with your casting. It, it felt like it was kind of that was like that that phrase literally turned people' attention from like, oh, he's a great co- he's a great caster, speaks really well, he has a couple of funny lines, good quips, whatever. To oh, this guy has really great lines. You know, it's like it's almost like that was the point of ascension to where you're on the levels of like an Uber, where people always talk about his lines and his clever mm. cleverness on the broadcast. 
So I think you're right to focus on it. And I think you you have improved. And this is going to obviously help your uh, your brand a lot too. Um, which, you know, if you want to Uber's, talk on it. Yeah, Uber's another one that I... I Honestly, as I think about the, the commentators that I respect and I admire and I have I have learned from, he's he's another one that I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out um, because he's he's incredible with his words, right? Like you look at the three names that I've listed so far, and, and they all have one thing in common. But it, I also think that there's a reason why they're considered the best, and I think that's a, a large part, right? I think it's it's in large part because of those things. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of thing that. I think matters because that line, for example, the bang was trying to defuse the spike. He was in a one V two and he had no time, right? The time to run out. Even the best thieves in the world can't sell time. Um, how easy would it have been to ship that and go, Oh, he runs out of time. Mm-hmm. Like, but it was, it was, Again, it was like overtime, if I remember correctly. It was an LCQ run, uh, or it was really close to overtime. It was the end of end of fracture. Um, it was an LCQ run. Uh, it was late in the map or overtime, if I remember correctly. Um, and it's so easy to ship that, right, and just say something generic. But that moment... I think when, when when you can drop a line like that, that's what sticks with people, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what makes a moment memorable. That's what really tells the story um, of something like that. And I think as commentators, that's our job, right? At least for play by plays, like it's our it's our job to take that moment and make it something really cool, right? To complement what's happening on the screen. Um, yeah. So that was I've I've had a couple that I'm very proud of. Um, and that's, that one's, that one's definitely one of them. If, if I'm going to be honest, that one, that one felt good. That one I think felt I, good. I was talking to Uber and he was talking about kind of the, the, the smirk you get when you realize you delivered something really well. Um, <laughs> the, the late, uh, Bala. late great in control was so blatantly obvious about this stuff. And <laughs> he'd make a, a zinger or you know very very funny line or something that was really cool. And then if you were there in person, you could see his little like. <laughs> yep. Bala Bala does this thing where <laughs> he goes because you know he obviously he and I talk a lot and um, there are certain things that I I tell him I've been working on and I never try to tell him ahead of time what it is but he'll do this thing where if i drop a line he'll like give me this like stink eye like or whatever or sometimes i'll like see him do this out of the corner of my eye uh and i and i know like i know when i've hit it like i i there's the smirk as you were saying like yep that line hit in that moment uh and again it it feels so small and it's so momentary right like we're talking about a second two seconds during a three-hour broadcast, maybe three three seconds at most, um, but the 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 best in the world do those well and do those mm-hmm. often. Yeah, I do it with a lot of um, as as you've been saying, kind of the appropriate uh, inflection and, and emotion that goes with the events as well. Because there's a another world mm. out there where you didn't just say, you know, oh the time's out. There's another world where your delivery <laughs> on the hundred thieves line. It's kind of it's kind of lame. Um, yeah. So definitely mm-hmm. a, a highlight moment. 
Uh, and you want to take those and you can get them and really perfect them, put the cherry on top and, and send it off to be clipped and shipped to the social media guy. Um, if you can, and those moments are going to stand out right. and give you a lot of, yep. uh, a lot of rep, uh, in the community. Um, but you know, you're, you're, uh, discussing, um, you know, how you, you got into this during COVID and it just occurred to me that you're a play by play commentator that what only recently really started working with the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my very first crowd cast was, um, was Copenhagen. Yeah. Yeah. My very first crowd cast ever. Yeah. Cause yep. Valorant, uh, took even longer than a lot of other sports actually to get a crowd in. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, uh, that's another thing I, I kind of blew my mind there. How did working with the crowd go the first time? Did you make any special intent to, to, to do this or did it kind of something that you realize is really cool and you're going to start working with this? Did you work with the crowd and how did you take it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I did, um, it was something because I understood that was a facet that I had not encountered before that I did not. I had not wrestled with that, right? I hadn't danced with the crowd and kind of known what that had been like. Um, but I knew I wanted to play to them because it wasn't just my first crowd cast ever. It was Valorant's first crowd cast ever uh, on on the international stage. You know, regionally, some stuff had happened, like Japan had had uh, crowd events. I want to say in Latin America, there'd been another one, but that was the very first Masters uh, VCT crowd cast ever. Um, so I understood how special the moment was not just for me, but, but for VCT as a whole. So it was a lot of, I, I was honestly very excited. Um, uh, I was like, I was like a kid the night before Christmas, very excited. Um, uh, and I definitely played into the crowd, like before the crowd started, like ball and I started Viking chats. Um, at one point I started a wave and we were just like interacting with the crowd as much as we could. Um, because I think there's a different, there's an additional, I won't say a different, there's an additional consumer's not the right word. Uh, there's a, there's an additional entity that we're serving in that moment, right? When we're doing remote broadcasts or even when we're in studio, but there's no one in the crowd, our focus is on those people who are watching at home, right? Some of the really special, one of the really special parts of traveling to an event in an arena, um, is getting to experience things that you wouldn't get to experience at home. And obviously that comes with the emotion, the crowd, the loudness, the merch, seeing your friends, cosplay, like all of that stuff is dope. Um, and if there's anything that we as commentators can do to make that more special for people who have been traveling from wherever to go to buy tickets because they love this game and they love these teams and they love this sport. Um, if there's anything that we can do to make that more memorable for them, then dope, man, that's part of our job too, right? Like, Yes, they're there to see the game, but as much as it's our job to complement what's happening on the screen, I think it's our job to complement what's happening in the arena too. Uh, and I think that matters. And I think people enjoy that, right? Like, is it a, necess- is it a necessity? No, probably not. Um, but do people remember that? Mm. Yeah. Right? Like, do people enjoy that? Yeah. Right? Like, are they going to have more fun if we do things like that? Absolutely. And I think, again, that's, that's what we're here for. We're entertainers. We're here to have fun. And we're here to have other people have fun yeah. with us. I lovely uh, into the, the, the summary there. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. But it does bring up a, a point of, of 
interest, like the, the different entity thing is, is a really interesting way of approaching it. Because I think the the crowd is often kind of like, as, as you were saying, like it's there, it's maybe not the most important. Um, you could probably get away with not working with the crowd and it'd still be very fun for them and fun for the online audience and whatnot. But it, it really does elevate things, you know, and there's a reason that, uh, for instance, uh, miking the crowd is a big deal for production also. There's something quite mm-hmm. magical to hearing that. Um, and then when the caster works with it well, it feels like it's almost at a concert, even when you're staying at home. If there's that dynamic there, mm-hmm. you can kind of feel like you're part of the moment, which uh, unfortunately is kind of changing. I th- I'm pretty sure Riot is not keen on this change like some other esports, uh, but StarCraft just got this treatment. CSGO is getting a bit of the treatment here where they're detaching the casters from the venue. They're saying, let's keep the production mm. in a place and bring the casters to the production as opposed to bringing everything to the locale to one place. Yeah. Sure. Um, so after having that, that experience and then also having such a, uh, you know, this really beautiful idea with it, which I, I agree with, um, you know, what is your perspective on that possible, possible change? Is it, is it overall then a subtraction? You know, you said for kind of like a throwaway line, like, Oh, maybe it's not the most important thing, but now really using on it, how big of a subtraction is it to have those casters taken out of those moments? Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to clarify. Um, I think that you could probably, as a, as a caster, you could do without um, playing with the crowd and still probably mm-hmm. be fine. Um, but I do think the presence of the crowd makes a drastic impact uh, on, on a commentator. And you can ask anyone who's done both. Um, the buzz isn't the same. The excitement isn't the same, right? Like it, the energy isn't the same as when you're in an arena, like when you're hearing ace being chanted by the crowd as you're casting this, this player about to get this first ace in the first VCT match ever uh, in, in front of a crowd, like you lose all of that. Um, and so I think I, I would be tragic if we moved away from that permanently. And I do think that riot, thankfully, um, doesn't seem to be interested in that. There was a, I don't, again, I don't remember which event it was, but it was this past year, League of Legends had um, a setup where they had both teams, I may have been one of the LCS playoffs or finals, I don't know, but the stage was the two teams, right? Like, and then the casting booth was in between them, above oh. them. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> very different, very random, and very cool. Um and again, I think I think that matters not just because of how the crowd experiences it, but I think I I do think it 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 does have an impact on on the mm-hmm. casters, right? There's a little bit extra oomph there, right? There's a little extra excitement, there's a little extra energy. Uh, and I think that reflects in the cast for sure. It brings out the best. Yeah. I think that's what ultimately I usually come down to is that okay, maybe the two percent that's missing, whatever you want to argue <clears throat> numerically that's missing isn't going to push away thousands of viewers or thousands of attendees, but there, there is something missing <laughs> like, you're not going to get the best cast ever. If you don't have that in-person uh, event with a crowd in. Well, and even to, you know, you, th- you think about Turkey, mm. right? It was a Turkish broadcast in the yeah, arena. That's right. So we, they couldn't hear us. We could hear them. We didn't know what they were saying. <laughs> they didn't know what we were saying. Right. Uh, but even just the 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 buzz, right? Like the excitement of of the 
of the crowd, the chanting, the all of that that's there. And I think for someone who's at home, you hear all of that come together because the mic is crowded, uh, because the crowd is mic'd. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's good. Uh, because the crowd is mic'd, because you're seeing the action on the screen, because you're hearing the commentator hit all of that, when it all comes together so beautifully, I mean, that's what it's, I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. the fun, right? Like, that's what it's all about. That's what sticks with you. That's what you remember. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, the the absence of it kind of feels like you're you're trying to to obviously there's cost cutting. There's like there's an actual legitimate reason why this is happening. But I feel like what mm-hmm. ends up happening overall is kind of taking away this kind of pageantry that an offline mm-hmm. event has. So you're 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 kind of going like halfsies with it. So you're like, I really want this really big, cool thing to stick out in people's minds. Like the most recent League of Legends World Championship was just all about the pageantry. Um, right. and that's going to stay in people's minds. They do it well, <laughs> yep. but they, they really played to it in a lot of ways. Everyone did their part to play to this historic moment. And I think they do a great job doing that, like on all of their, their major finals. Um, but when mm-hmm. you take away that, that element, there's kind of this like, well, is it that big of a deal? Well, no, like, you know, the, the players are still there and the money's still there and the stage is still there. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> is it sure. that prestigious? Is it that cool? Is this what, you know, the ideal has been? And the answer is usually no, in my opinion. I'm very biased. I'm, I'm taken out of a event recently. Going to be casting from Stockholm. Sure, but, sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, I really do think that it's, there. there's like new pushes for esports to be not just taken seriously, but then just to be like this like accepted great deal. Like I was tempted to show my dad the League of Legends finals because just like, cool, Jesus, everything's happening, you know? Look at what this could be. And, you know, we take away from it and it, you know, just kind of sucks it's the tldr yeah and i i do think it's interesting because uh, for a while there i think esports had a, an identity crisis oh, yeah. of sorts where we as an industry were more concerned about proving our um our validity to outsiders that sounds so strange to say but mm-hmm. you get what i'm saying like people outside of esports we almost it almost felt like we had to put on this thing and go look look how real we are right like we look like the super bowl or we look like the nba finals or whatever it is we look like a concert um and i do think we've transitioned away from that and we aren't doing that for the sake of look at how real i am consider me a sport and we're just doing it because this is what we love doing right and we realize that it's more entertaining for the spectators. It's more entertaining for those at home and in the arena like that. And I think that's a healthy spot, right? Like we're not bringing in that, the infamous overwatch, um, (laughs) the concert. Yeah. We're not, yes, we're not doing that. Right. It's, it's different. We've moved away from that. And the nuances it's, it's, it's subtle. Um, but I do think that the approach has changed. And I think it's because we understand this is we're doing this mm-hmm. for us. We're not we're not doing this to prove to whoever that we're as real as we say. Yeah, we Overwatch are. League is really the um, low hanging fruit a lot of the time, but especially it's early <laughs> early years because yeah, that's that's a famous example. I would say the first year of Overwatch League, they very much are trying to replicate um, like an NFL, and that makes sense because they had an NFL yeah. guy come in, um, and and it, it all the talent was fantastic. No shade on their talent, oh, yes. but the, yeah. the overall thing no, no. kind of felt like a little detached from what esports actually was. And you said it was identity crisis. Obviously, a big thing that changes what Riot has done is that you talk about the 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 
um, concerts they've put on. I mean, they literally are like hiring artists to do like game specific songs that are really good songs that you wouldn't be embarrassed to like, you know, have your friends here to listen. Yeah. To. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then they're playing with that. And then even if they do get someone who's really famous outside of the esports sphere, like they did with um, Lil Nas X, <laughs> really, mm-hmm. most importantly, let him be him, which is fantastic and just up like yeah. luck. So, um, yep. so I, yeah, I think you're right. The subtleties, they're 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 hard to pick up on sometimes it would be too easy for someone to be like there really is no difference i don't know if you guys talking about y'all crazy we still have an identity problem and that's fine Mm -hmm. i think we are still in the teenage phase but as you said i think it's more to the effect of this is the people we want to impress are here and we know what to do to impress them it's not about necessarily getting more outsiders to try and convince them like please please take us seriously the famous arrested development um, photo (laughs) but yeah uh Anyways, that's um I think that actually kind of does it for the podcast, unfortunately. Um interesting point to end on, honestly where I intended, but it's kind of where it went. Uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the best. Um so yeah, uh thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about your experience. Um nothing but good things, hopefully, for you and, and the Valorant esports scene. Uh, I know it's the off season, but anything you're doing or anything you know you'll be doing soon, please let us know. Say no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me first and foremost. Um, the number one thing I want to say is VCT game changers starts on the 15th. Oh wait, this probably won't. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, let the record show that the plug was put out there. Anyway. <laughs> if somehow you get your hands on this back in time, go watch VCT game go. changers. It's happening in Berlin. Very first game changers event, uh, ever, which is a really, really cool. Historic mm-hmm. moment. Um, yeah, I think in the off season, uh, just working on uh, a little bit of my own content. I have a YouTube show called Vandals in which I bring on like pro players and coaches. Um, in I've recently just transitioned to more of like a roundtable setting, which just seems to be going really well. Um, and well, at this point, I can talk about it because actually I shouldn't, just in case <laughs> for whatever reason it gets delayed, I should not talk about which guests are going to be on the end. But it's very <laughs> exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. Check it out. It lives on YouTube and it's streamed on Twitch as well. Uh, but again, no, thank you for having me. This was a lot I'm of fun. Glad you had fun. Uh, that's what I always hope, anyways. And at least have my guests uh, have fun while they just sit there and talk to me and let me, you know, just sit and listen. That's the preference. <laughs> uh, thank you to everyone who's watching and listening uh, to Caster Calls with Zombie Grub. I hope to see you all back for episode 64. But first, big thank you to everyone who supports on Patreon, patreon.com slash zombiegrub. You have Shane and Vlad IV for uh, the co-producers of the podcast and Barrett uh, continuing to help out with it. Thank you very much. As well as the people who go above and beyond on the Patreon, Nick, Vinny, Steven, E.T., Ravi, and Cuddle Bunny. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast. And I hope to see you all back here in two weeks for another episode. See you later.